Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Well, good morning, everyone. If we have any of our kids three to five, they can head off to their classes. Um, And for the rest of us, uh, go ahead and turn to Luke 2 with me, as they just read. And just want to say, as these kids are heading out, uh, man, my heart is full this morning. Uh, before we had church, I felt like we had church. And so if you were here uh, early on, they, they got here at around 8 o'clock, all the kids, and um, they're practicing the song that they're going to be leading us in next week uh, during the service. And so, um, but then after they practice the song, we, we have prayer. Anyone that wants to come and, and is invited to come at 835, we gather together and we pray. And the children joined in with us during that time and were praying themselves as well. And uh, man, it was just, it was just a, such a sweet, sweet moment. I mean, I, I'm putting it in, you know, just one of my, there, there were some tears in the room. I'll just say that. It was definitely in my top five uh, moments for our church up to this point. Um, but it's so good, so good. And so we're our, uh, continuing in our Advent series. And what we're doing in our Advent series uh, is we're looking at the songs of Luke. Uh, the songs that kind of surround the birth of Jesus. Um, and these songs, there's four of them that we're primarily looking at, began with the song of Mary. And then we looked at the song of Zechariah. And today we're going to be looking at the song of the angel that appears, um, that they just read for us. And, and so we're going to be looking at this, and, and today is going to be a com- uh, kind of a combination of, of bad news, good news. Bad news, good news. And if you know anything about the gospel, like that's what's necessary. Like we need to understand the bad news to be able to understand and contemplate the fact that the gospel is good news. And so as you're getting there in Luke chapter 2, I want to ask you a question out there. How many of you have gotten Christmas shopping done? Anyone yet? All done? Anyone who hasn't started yet? Hasn't started yet? All right, Adelaide. Adelaide hasn't started Christmas shopping yet. Um, Christmas is here, right? Like there's no more kind of waiting in this season. It is, it is upon us. It is here. And, um, and it kind of stirs something in the majority of us, right? It stirs something up in us. And what we're going to see in this text today is, is why there's a stirring in our souls, especially this time of year, uh, surrounding what we're celebrating in this. So let me give you a little bit of context for the song of the angel. And really verses 1 through 7 provide this context for us. And so I'm going to read this for you real quick. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Now, I'm going to cover more of that miraculous moment on Christmas Sunday. 
uh, because I don't want you to believe that I'm just kind of blowing past that. It, it's one of the two greatest moments in the history of the world, the, the birth of Jesus being the first and the resurrection of Jesus being the second. But we're going to continue reading. Again, we're going to cover that in, in its entirety on Christmas Sunday. But I want you to see what's happening, what's being stirred around this moment. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. I want to just stop here for a moment. Can we just pause for a moment and think about this? Why, why fear? Why fear? Why not curiosity or wonder or amazement? But instead, it's fear. It's fear. In the original language, the Greek, it, it refers to it as uh, they were terribly frightened. Terribly frightened. An unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous. Likely to cause pain or a threat. And in our fallen world, since the Garden of Eden, there's this curse that's placed on us where we essentially expect bad things to happen. We expect there to be turmoil. We expect there to be collateral damage because of our sin. And it's true. Because of our sin, everyone and everything is cursed. And so there's this, um, th th there's this kind of imprint on our souls, on our hearts, on our identities, on our souls, that, that there is a curse and that there's a judgment for that curse. That because of that sin that we have brought into the world, that we've ushered in and that we've all been born into, because of it, we know that there's an impending judgment. And we know that there is a consequence for it. And so that, that automatically, by nature, puts us in this category of fearful. That we're waiting for the ball to drop. We're waiting for something bad to happen. We're waiting for judgment to appear to us. And, and it might be, again, because of our own personal sin, or it also might just be we're waiting for something bad to happen because of the collateral damage of sin. The fact that everyone is sinful and bad things are just going to happen and bad circumstances are just going to happen around us. It's why, whether I, whether I deserved it or not, it's why in three years I've been stabbed once, mugged twice, and shot at a third time. Like, like those things just happen because of the fact that we're in the collateral damage of sin. It's why our church trailer was stolen. It's why our sound equipment was stolen multiple times. It's why we all experience the terrible circumstances that we experience. And then on the flip side, again, there's also the justified consequences we deserve because of our sin. Ultimately death, but also just this tension, this heartache, this pain, this lack of emotional well-being, strife in relationships, and on and on I could go. You reap what you sow, essentially. So these shepherds, they're not expecting this to be a positive experience for them. Whether it's because they are about to receive something bad due to the sin in the world, or they are about to receive judgment for their own sin. They're expecting bad news. They're expecting bad news. And so when this angel shows up, and they recognize where he's coming from, they're thinking, this is it. This is it. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The first thing I want you to see here is, is what this angel refers to in verse 10. The angel declares, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Good news, great joy for all people. I mean, does this not sum up our greatest hope as a society, especially during the Christmas season? I mean, this is the campaign slogan for most politicians. We have good news that's going to produce great joy, and it's going to be for all people. I mean, it's the answer to every question at a beauty pageant, right? This is what they answer, world peace. We want there to be good news and great joy for all people. It's literally the slogan or mission statement for every company that exists out there. Just listen to some of these. Maybe even try to guess them. To inspire humanity, both in the air and on the ground. Take a guess. Who's that from? Southwest. Good guess. It's JetBlue. Like, I, I don't really care that my airline inspires humanity. Like, your mission statement should just simply be, get me from A to B as safely as possible. Like, that's what I want your mission statement to be. Focus on that. You don't need to inspire humanity. Here's another one. Spread good news. That was actually the original of it. Now it's spread ideas. Who's that from? Ted. With TED Talks. How about this one? To help humanity thrive by enabling all people to work together effortlessly. This one you might not have heard as much, but Asana. Asana. Here's another one. Bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Who is it? Nike. All right, that one might have been easy. Here's another one. This one I feel like is just very audacious. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Who is it? Starbucks. Just make us coffee. You don't need to inspire and nurture the human spirit. And this one shocked me the most. To inspire creative, creativity and bring joy. Who is it? I mean, it sounds like the angel, but who is it? TikTok. <laughs> to inspire creativity and bring joy. Thank you, TikTok. But this is what the world is longing for, is the exact thing this angel brings. I mean, this is what the movies are about, the songs, the commercials, the entire thing. All of Christmas is about receiving good news and experiencing great joy. That's what we're all longing for. That's why Ralphie despite shooting his eye out, is still going to get that Red Ryder BB gun, right? It's why Clark is going to get that bonus check just in time to put the pull in. Maybe the good news and great joy is about the reconciling of broken relationships. It's why Buddy is going to get reconciled with his workaholic father who's abandoned him. It's why every Hallmark movie is about two people who are alone 
one working in the city and one in rural wherever, and they come together on Main Street in a small town to save Christmas. And we're all drawn into this. The Christian, the atheist, the secularist, and on and on I could go. It, it, it just sucks us all in, even the most hardened of heart. Scrooge goes from being the most unloving, hardened, cold-hearted man to becoming the most generous, cheerful, and most kind, loving individual. Grinch, his heart grows three times the size. There's this great anticipation because so many of us live in the tension of the difficulties of life, but we're here for it. We're here for a season that allows us to escape the tension and the difficulties of life, the collateral damage of the sin. We're here for it. It's why we drive an hour out of the city to go cut down a tree and pay more for it than we could just by going to Lowe's and buying one there. Nobody likes rearranging their house, but we do that during this season. We redecorate everything. We set the tone because we are all anticipating that that Christmas morning, magic is going to happen. Where our problems fade away, where we enjoy the presence of family and friends. And it works because it pulls on what Ecclesiastes says is eternity on our hearts. We long for greater, better, reconciled relationships. No more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more loss. We long for that because it's been written on our hearts. We were, we were meant to live without pain, to live without shame, to live without grief, to live without struggle. We were meant to live without any hindrance or boundary of access to unending, ever-increasing joy. Happiness, pleasures forevermore. That's what the garden was like before we fell. And the problem is that we place that hopeful optimism. We place it in creation rather than creator. We hope that the kingdom satisfies our longing without the presence of the king. We want the stockings without the savior. We want Christmas without Christ. And for so many families, after that magical Christmas morning, when the presents are done, when the decorations come down, when the tree's put away, or in our house it goes in the backyard and gets set on fire, when it's all over, there's this sense of emptiness. There's this void. This silence that is no longer a silent night, but rather a silent reality. The walls feel barren, the brightness seems dull, the hope seems less hopeful. And it's because our hope is just simply misplaced. Our hope is misplaced. If our hope is anchored in creation and not creator, in the kingdom and not the king, in stockings and not the savior, in Christmas but not Christ, then we're going to fall short of great joy every single time. We're not going to experience the great joy that the angel is declaring here. Because creation was never meant to provide for us the joy that only God can provide. And the question we need to ask is, why do we do this? Why do we do this? 
And it's because from the very beginning with our first parents, we, we listened to the lie that creation, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, will provide for us what God does not. It's a lie. And every generation since Adam and Eve have fallen into this lie. And we continue to believe it over and over and over again. That's why Romans 1, 18-32 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, their sin, suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His, in, his invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, who God is, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What he's saying there is, we know God exists because of what we see God has made. We cannot look at one another as image bearers of God and not have a perception in our soul that something created that. And to believe that that's not true is not believing that there's not a God. It's knowing that there is, but we suppress it. We suppress it. There is no true atheist. There is functioning, suppressing of God in existence. For what can be known about God was plain to them. He goes on to say in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Instead of worshiping God, we chose to worship everything that God created, expecting it to provide more for us. And then in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. You see, all of the world is worshipping something or someone in order to seek satisfaction from it. I will give of myself to you in order for you to provide for me what I'm longing for. Fill this void that I have within me. Feel this lackness that I have within me. I want more and I need you to provide it for me. So I'm going to give you all of my resources, all of my energy, all of my uh, whatever it fill in the blank. I need you to give me this. So I'm going to give of myself to you. They're seeking peace in the chaos of our world. And it's the reason, honestly, and, and, and this is why I'm bringing this up as we pull through this. But it's the reason for the rapidly evolving sexual revolution in our society right now. The past 20 years may be new to us when it comes to the redefining of marriage and sexual orientation, but it's not new to history, nor is it absent in God's Word. Verse 25, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is not something that is just contextual to the time. 
He's writing this to the Romans to represent the Roman Empire. In a sense, what he is doing is he is giving them a systematic theology of what God has ordained, but yet what they've given themselves over to. They're worshiping and seeking pleasure from themselves rather than God, and it's perverted the entire thing. And since they, verse 28, now this is collectively pulling them all in. This is going back to the verse 18 that you see when it talks about all of the unrighteous. So don't just see the they as those who are in the sexual revolution, but he's considering the they to be all that are falling under the unrighteousness. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. And so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, deserve to die, though they know what they're doing in God's design is not right, and they're going to die for it, though they know that. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. I mean, there's a reason why we're expecting bad news. Humanity knows when it comes to the relationship between creation and creator. But yet we so suppress the truth. And seeking creation to reorient it or redefine it. To provide for us the pleasure that we're longing for. That we even start to approve of it. Versus just a means of trying to figure out how. To become God ourselves. Now, before any of us in this room think, man, that's right. Like, they, they do deserve God's wrath and judgment as evildoers. And again, we're getting to good news, but bad news first. Romans 3, following the same mindset of the Apostle Paul here when he gets to chapter 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks... If, you're one, if, you're, if you were born Jewish by bloodline in this room, you land under the category of Jew. If not, then you land under the category of Greek. All right, that, that covers everybody that's not Jew. Okay, Both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, of, of asps is, on, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace, they have not known. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He goes on in Romans 6.23 to say that the wages for these sins is simply death. It's death. 
Because we've suppressed the truth about God and exchanged it for a lie. We deserve death, plain and simple. And that's what these shepherds were expecting. That's what they were expecting. That's why they were fearful. That's why they were uh, terribly frightened. It, it wasn't in their context like, oh, I saw a ghost, or like I saw something run out. Like it's, it's, they were terribly frightened, for they knew. They knew what they deserved. What they deserved. They knew what humanity, they're speaking for us. That's the first time the gospel message is proclaimed and it's proclaimed in such a way that we're, we're representing a holy God who does not associate with sin. Well, all of a sudden now, and, and we, we know that God gives life. If he gives life but cannot associate with sin, that means he no longer gives life to that which is sinful. And what that means is that then the only thing that remains that he is giving to this sinful person is death. Is death. And they stand in that position. It's either you're receiving life or you're receiving death. So we're all in this place where we're expecting bad news for the consequences of sin in the world and our sin we contribute as well. But we need what this angel is proclaiming. We need what this angel is proclaiming, what this angel is singing. We need good news. We need great joy. And we need it for all people. We need it for all people. And that there's no way that we can change it ourselves. We, we can't reconcile it ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. That's why Paul goes on in Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, but by you earning it, by you contributing to it, by you giving, by you serving, by you praying, by you reading, studying, meditating, by you doing anything, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law only comes the knowledge of sin. All the law is doing is showing us the holiness and righteousness of God and the fact that we fall short of it. That's all it is doing for us. But now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. That's what this angel is declaring. The righteousness of God has been manifested, been made known, been, been declared to us, proclaimed over us. It's been manifested and it showed up apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets are all pointing us to Jesus, saying, don't miss him. For there's no distinction or the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift. Good news. Great joy. God has manifested a gift for us that is grace to be extended and for us to be received through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God, again, He put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness for us. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. That's not him saying that he swept them under the rug. That's just him saying that all of the sins that we committed from Adam up until Jesus, 
God is looking at them and saying they deserve death. And I'm exercising patience. It's the reason why Adam and Eve right there in the spot don't die. It's the reason why Moses, when he kills a man, he doesn't die. It's the reason why Noah, even though he builds the ark and it's a great, wonderful thing, he goes across once the waters recede and he gets drunk and passes out, but he doesn't die. Not in the moment. There's a reason why Abraham, when he lies and deceives and doesn't wait and is patient, he doesn't die. God in his forbearance is passing over these sins to get to Jesus so that he can vindicate the sins of all that believe in him. They're saved the exact same way we are saved. They're looking forward by faith in the promise that God has provided for them through the Son, Jesus Christ. As we, by faith, are looking back over everything that He's done, at that moment, the sins of the world throughout history, for those who believe, we are vindicated. Vindicated. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is God's plan A to save creation from itself. Back to Luke 2, Luke 2 verse 11. For unto you this day is a tree with every gift you've ever wanted. Is that what it says? <laughs> no. I don't want to frown upon the idea of gift giving. It's part of the fun. It's part of the joy. It's part of the cheer. It's very exciting to open up the presents and see, see what you bought for yourselves, right? <laughs> Not growing up in a Christian home, uh, it was all we had. It was all we had to look forward to. And, and I think the part that started for me being able to see that there was something missing was knowing that everything built up to this single night all the hopeful optimism, the reason for the season, everything, the excitement, the cheer, the like, what's the greatest thing? What's the one thing that you really want right now? Put it on a list and we'll provide it for you. And then you get it. And it either breaks by noon. Or I remember specifically, like, when I was six years old, what I wanted to be was a stuntman when I grew up. That's what I wanted to be. I think Dukes of Hazard had a lot to play with that. But that's really what I wanted to be. And so at that time, I was like, I just need some kind of like stunt BMX bike, just something that would work. And that's what I prayed for. I prayed for. I wasn't praying for it. Wasn't a believer. But that's what I was asking my parents for. And they got me the BMX bike. And it was, it was amazing. I, I remember it had like thicker spokes on it to absorb uh, impact. It was amazing. And I had that bike for six months and then someone stole it from me. And I remember in that moment thinking, now being seven at the time, I remember thinking like, what can I do with my life now? <laughs> I'm supposed to be a, like a stuntman. This was, everything was hinged on this one thing to get me there. And in that moment, I think for me, just as I continued growing older, like what we receive or what we get out of life, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I remember there was an interview with Tom Brady when they were asking him about, you know, the, the, 
37th Super Bowl that he won. And they were asking him, like, how does this measure up in life when it comes to, like, accolades and success? And, like, how does this make you feel? And, and literally, all he said was, man, there's got to be more than this. And he's still chasing after it. It's why he's not going to retire until he's 90. He's still chasing after more, and he just doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what it is. I always had this sense that there's got to be more. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. The Greek word for Savior is soter, which means deliverer and preserver. Jesus, this baby, this gift of grace, Christ who is Lord, will do two things, deliver us from the bondage to sin and also transfer us to freedom in Christ. He is also the preserver, a preserver of what? Of life and life eternal. Think of Moses and how Jesus fulfills the greater Moses. Moses delivers the Israelites from the bondage of sin that they're into with Pharaoh and the slavery in Egypt. But yet he is also a preserver of the way of life of the Israelites as he continues to cultivate their life as they go and they wander for the next 40 years in the desert. Jesus is fulfilling the greater Moses in this sense where not only is he delivering us and transferring us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son, he's, he's delivering us from our bondage and slavery to sin. And also, so not just forgiving us, but then also is now preserving for us a way of life. By granting us life every day. This is why John 10.10 says what it says. This is, why, this is why the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he's come to have life and have life abundantly. Like that's what Jesus is providing for us. That's what this good news is of great joy is that it's removing the very thing that creates for us the tension and difficulties of our life. It's the sin that we contribute, and it's the sin that's the collaborative effort around us that causes the collateral damage of sin. He's removing that so that he ushers in for us this last thing that this angel declares for us. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Freedom from disturbance. Tranquility. Restfulness. A, a state in which there's no war. I mean, think about this in regards to what the shepherds were feeling in the field with the terribly frightened and the fear into that emotion of fear. And what does the good news and the great joy of a Savior, what does that transform us into? We go from fearful to now at peace. And this is the walk of a Christian. We go from no longer experiencing the fear that we experience on a daily basis to now entering into, because of the good news and the great joy of Jesus, this is where we place our hope in this season. 
is that if we're looking for the anxieties of life to be solved by a tree or to be solved by presents or to be solved by family or friends or traditions, guess what? When you wake up on January 1st and you usher in the new year with your new resolutions, you're still going to be the same fearful, anxious person. Because those things did not satisfy. They don't satisfy and they will never satisfy. Now, do we not engage and, and participate and, and celebrate and indulge ourselves in those things? Of course we can. We have the freedom to. But what our freedom is, is to view all of those things in the right perspective that they are a shadow, they are not the substance. It's a shadow. And so when we're eating that Christmas dinner, and we're indulging in all of those flavors, let us remember that Christ is the bread of life. That He is the one who is supplying what we ultimately need in the greater substance. It's a shadow. The meal is a shadow. And the presents, when we open them up and we feel that like, oh yes, I've got what I asked for. Let it be a shadow of the greater thing that our soul is asking for, which is a Savior that satisfies every possible pleasurable need and desire that we have. Those things are fine, and they're good, but they're not great joy. Great joy only comes through this Savior, this child to be born. And these angels, or these, these shepherds, man, they respond rightly. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, I love this, no longer fearful, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I mean, they're on a roller coaster of emotions on this night. Fearful, is this my time? Am I dying? Am I going to hell? That's what my soul is telling me right now. Oh, but wait, fear not. This child's going to forgive you of those sins. And he's going to remove that shame. And he's going to remove that guilt. And he's going to remove the pain. And you don't have to go home worrying anymore. You get to go home rejoicing. Rejoicing and praising God for this child is going to do everything for you that you could not do for yourself. If you've received this good news by faith, as it says in Romans 3, and you believe Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins by the offering of Himself in your place on the cross, Dying so that you don't have to die. Removing the fear and giving you peace. And if you believe that, we're going to invite you to this table. We're going to invite you to this table to, to dine with us. As we remember the gift of this child. And there's, and again, I, I, I don't want to spoil Christmas. We'll get to the reason why he comes as a baby in a manger. But there's a reason why he doesn't just come down as a 33-year-old man and go to the cross and die for us and then shoot back up. 
There's a reason why He comes for the fullness of a baby to a man to die. And it's so that He completely associates with us in every possible way to redeem for us every possible pain and moment in our life that we were fearful and anxious and worked through in order to have hope. Him coming as a baby gives hope for babies. Him going to the temple when he's around two, three years old gives hope for us when we do child dedication. When he's 12 years old and he returns to the temple and he begins asking these deep theological questions, it's redeeming for us this moment of our children being able to understand the gospel and to be able to receive this good news for themselves as well. Him entering into the adulthood and, and working as a carpenter, I guarantee he had thorns and thistles that rose up and he redeems work for us. At every moment, He's earning for us peace while we are fearful. Every step of the way, He's earning that for us because He's associating it with us so that He can then have us associate with Him. Associate with Him. I want you to hear this. Romans 6, 3-4. And think about this as we look at the bread and the juice and as we represent the death of Jesus. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into His death. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we too might walk in the newness of life. So as he's lived his life and he goes and he dies and he gets buried and then he resurrects back, like that wasn't all just for the removal and forgiveness of our sins. But it was also for him to redeem, now that we are associating with that, to redeem our life on a daily basis. He's now granting to us the good news and great joy that we get to walk in the newness of life every day. We get to choose peace rather than fear every single day because it's been purchased for us and it's been granted to us as a grace and as a gift to us that we don't have to earn. You don't have to wake up in the morning and figure out, do I pray enough in order to get it? Do I read enough in order to receive it? No, through Christ, it's been granted to us. It's been gifted to us. It's been provided to us in full. And we get to be resurrected with Him and walk in this newness of life. For when you were slaves of sin, technically you were free in regard to righteousness. What he's saying there is when you were sinners, there was no expectation of you living out righteousness. That's why we use the phrase, like when sinners sin, why are you surprised? That's what they do. That's what we do. You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? That's where Christmas comes into play. What fruit were you getting from all the things that you were placing hope in before you knew Jesus? 
Nothing. There, there was no fruit coming that was actually satisfying. For the end of those things is death. We died to those things. That's why the representation of baptism. We were buried. We put those things to death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get, the fruit we receive, the fruit we partake of, this is even the redemption of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That brought shame and guilt and sin and death. The fruit we now partake of every single day. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We get sanctification here and now. What is that? In the original language, it's hagiosmos, meaning the purification of heart and life. The purification of heart and life. Peace. Peace of soul. Peace with your conscience. Tranquility between you and God and you and others. It's peace on earth. It really is. It's peace on earth. Like next time you watch a beauty pageant and they say world peace, just say Jesus. Like maybe beauty pageants might be the easiest people to win for the Lord if we just go and tell them, hey, I know how to actually like get world peace. Jesus. Jesus. I want you to stand. And as you stand... I'm going to invite you, again, for those, who, for those who believe this, for those who have received this by faith, I want to invite you to be able to come down and grab the elements and come back to your seats. And I want to just contemplate viewing Christ at the cross, absorbing all of everything that we are fearful of. He absorbs all of it. But yet... He also is uniting us in that moment. And so the very thing that we're entangled in with our sin, He's inviting us to put it at the cross and be put to death there. We cast it there and we put it to death. And then as He is buried and rose again, we are also raised again with Him to walk in the newness of life. And so whatever it is right now that we're we're entangled in, whatever it is that we're continuing to work through in our life, whatever it is that is continuing to keep you up at night with these thoughts of anxiety and these thoughts of fear and these thoughts of shame and guilt, and whatever it is, man, we are free in Christ to take it to the cross and to declare that this has already been put to death and that we get to remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus, and that we are free, and that we get to invite the peace that He has extended to us to provide us the tranquility that we're longing for, the satisfaction that we need. It's already yours. Be freed to receive it. And believe it. Man, that's why Romans 8.1 is so good. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what those shepherds heard. And that's what we get to hear this morning. Good news, great joy for all people. So come down and grab the elements and come back to your seat.